Welcome. There's something about being in this place on a warm summer day. There's the promise of a cool, gently moving, but slightly musty air. The slowness of summer, even though summer isn't always slow. And a relaxed morning of reflection, rejoicing, rejuvenation, and relationships. So no matter who you are, what circumstances brought you here, or you brought here, you are welcome here. We all welcome you because God welcomes you. We welcome you because no matter where you are from or where you are going, we seek to be a place of grace and healing. This is God's place, and we are God's people. Why don't you stand with us and we'll sing song number one as a gathering song. What is this place? Song number one. I want to draw draw your attention to some of the uh, things in the bulletin. Uh, You can kind of look ahead at uh, what's happening in Summer Worship at Grace um, for uh, looking at some of the needs of some of the people in the congregation. Christina Putz is in uh, Bethesda Regional Health Center. Lorraine Sawatsky, whose cancer has returned, and uh, others with ongoing medical concerns. Matt, John, Regan, Lori... Shara and Virginia, and a prayer for this week. Help us to practice loving kindness towards others, especially when we find it difficult. And then uh, there are several um, people from the church who have uh, experienced uh, grief, and uh, we want to extend our condolences. Ben and Linda Clausen and Monica Clausen on the passing of their brother and uncle Abe Clausen. And to Peter Dick and Thelma Gunther on the passing of their brother-in-law, Edgar Clausen. 
And uh, if you go to the back of the bulletin, uh, there's uh, women's coffee time. All ages, kids are welcome, and a ride for refuge coming up. Are there any other announcements that anybody would like to make? I'd just like to give you a quick update then on uh, refugee status. We have, for about almost a year and a half, had complete and utter deafening silence from the government on uh, where the... uh, status of the uh, families in Lebanon were, but then uh, last week we got an email saying that they had been notified that they are to appear at the consulate in Lebanon on July 19th. That typically means that if all goes well, things start moving very quickly, and within a month to six weeks, folks arrive. So from July 19th, we hope to start hearing information, and who knows, we'll find out what happens. I am privately hoping that at least it'll, they'll be uh, away till August 5th because we're going on holidays, so then it would be a bit tricky for me to manage some of those things. But uh, So we think good things are starting to happen in that, on that front. So it could be by the end of August that uh, we'll have, uh, have six folks joining uh, Steinbach and uh, we'll be continuing our sponsorship then. A call to worship. Here in this place... There are no foreigners, for all are welcome in God's house. Here in this worship, we are all embraced, for love is the language of faith. Here in our lives, our differences don't divide us, for God dwells in each of us. Come, let us worship in harmony and love. Stand with us.
here, story time. I'd like to invite the kids to come on up. There they come. I don't have that much lap, you guys. <laughs> Three of you? For real? Okay. I love this book. I love this book, too. That's why we're reading it. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, kids, I want you to feel... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So, first of all, I want you, when you go back to your parents, to tell them all that it is about five to eight degrees cooler in the front of the church than in the back. So next week, to beat the heat, everyone's going to sit in the front row, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Perfect. This is one of my favorite books. I think some of you have it in your houses. I've seen it there. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Oh, okay. It goes like this. It's called Little Blue Truck. With your little blue truck, huh? I think there's about a million copies of these around the world. Okay. Horn went beep, engine purred, friendliest sounds you've ever heard. Little blue truck came down the road, beep said blue to a big green toad. Toad said croak and winked an eye when little blue truck went rolling by. Sheep said, cow said, oink said a piggy, and beep said, do know this story. Cluck said a chicken and her chick said, ma said a goat and blue said, nay said a, quack said a, beep said the friendly little blue truck. Uh oh. Honk yelled the dump truck coming through. I've big important things to do. I haven't got time to pass the day with every duck along the way. Vroom went the dump around a curve. He saw a puddle and he tried to swerve. Into the mud rolled the big fat truck and his big important wheels got stuck. His heavy duty dump truck tires were sunk down deep in mud and mire. Honk, cried the dump and he sounded scared, but nobody heard or nobody cared. Then, into the mud, bump, 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 came the little blue truck to help the dump. Little blue pushed with all his might. Now blue and dump were both stuck tight. Hi, Milo. Yeah. Help, 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 cried the little blue truck. Beep, 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 I'm stuck, I'm stuck. Everybody heard that beep, beep, beep. The cow came running with the pig and the sheep. Up at a gallop ran the big brown horse, and goat jumped over the fence, of course. And hen came a-flapping with the chick and the duck, and everybody pushed that little blue truck. Head to head and rump to rump, they all pushed blue who pushed the dump. They couldn't quite budge that heavy load, then who hopped up but the big green toad? All together, one, two, three, one last push, and the trucks were free. Thanks, little brother, said the dump to blue. You helped me and they helped you. Now I see a lot depends on a helping hand from a few good friends. Beep, said Blue, who wants a ride? Everybody scrambled to jump inside. Oink, quack, ba, moo, cluck, peep, nay, croak, ma, beep, beep, beep. The end.
All right, you can go back to your parents now. Remember that story. It's a parable. <laughs> Our summer prayer time is uh, in church is going to be uh, following the, uh, I guess, the, the format that I'm going to be using this morning. It'll be familiar to most of you. So let's pray together. Take time to become quiet. Breathe in and out slowly and just make yourself comfortable. you have given us life. You love in Christ and you guide us by your spirit. Here you are. Here we are. Here we are together. Lord, we have that for which we are grateful, and we thank you now. we have acted in ways for which we are sorry, and we confess to you now. Lord, we are needy, and we now ask for that of which we need we and our world are in need Lord, we open ourselves to you and your spirit, open to living with you in all that will be and become part of our lives today and in the week to come.
Okay, here's a song that uh, <clears throat> has very familiar words uh, based on Psalm 23, and, but the melody is new to me anyway, so take a listen. my shepherd I'll not want He makes me lie in pastures green He leads me by the still still waters His goodness restores my soul And I will trust in you I will trust in you alone For your endless mercy follows me Your goodness will lead me home He guides my ways in righteousness And he anoints my head with oil and my cup it overflows with joy I feast on his pure delight and I will trust in you alone and I will trust in you mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. And though I walk the darkest path, I will not fear the the comfort I need to know. And I will trust in you alone. And I will trust in you alone. For your endless mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me Scripture reading today is from Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. 
there are Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back to you with your peop- to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you will go, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told me. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Have any of you here heard of the Bechdel, Bechdel test? Bechtel is not Bechdel test. Anybody? One, two, three, four. All right. The Bechdel test was developed by Alison Bechdel, used, and the test is used to evaluate how women are portrayed in literature and television and movies, so our fiction. And the Bechdel test works like this. If there are two women in a story whose names that we know, and if they're talking to each other about something other than a man, it passes the test. 
Pretty straightforward. Two women, we know their names, talking to each other, not about men. And you pass. And so when they apply this test to most of the fiction that we read or watch on TV, they found that actually most of what we read and watch dismally fails the Bechdel test. It's kind of pathetic, actually. Although there have been some movements recently to try to address some of these things. However, this week, when I was reading Ruth chapter 1, it dawned on me that this chapter, there's one little bit that passes the Bechdel test. Women characters whose names we know? Yup. Naomi and Ruth are the main protagonists, and then Orpah makes a cameo, although every time I read the story, I just want to say Oprah, but whatever. Are they talking about something other than men? Yes. So the background, though, is that their husbands have all passed away, and Naomi tells them that she's not going to have any more kids. But there is that one part where Ruth pledges to never leave Naomi's side and that whatever fate befalls Naomi will also befall Ruth, too. That, that paragraph passes the Bechdel test. And it is actually one of the only times that any story in our entire Bible passes the Bechdel test. The roots of patriarchy run deep. When Ruth pledges her fate to that of Naomi, the Hebrew word best used to describe this is chesed. It's an act of loyal loving, of loving kindness. It's a covenant of love, something one commits to regardless of how you're feeling. A wedding vow might be a similar comparison. Through thick and thin, health and sickness, good times and bad, Chesed is also used to describe God's love for God's people. It's loyal love. Now, Ruth and Naomi talking about loyally loving each other, I think, is certainly better than them talking about men, right? (laughs) Although the men come back in chapter 2. You'll get that next week with Reynolds. We'll come back to Chesed in a little bit. So Naomi and her husband and their two sons are Israelites, and they move to a foreign land called Moab, and they all marry Moabite women. And then when all the men pass away, Naomi says, you can go back to your own country and your own people. Now, according to local customs of the time, Naomi's daughters-in-law were free to go back to their own families, their own people, their own rules and customs and cultures and religion. Naomi released them. There is something freeing about rules, isn't there? That there are clear expectations of you, and you know that if you do what you are supposed to do, it's probably going to be okay. So, if you pay your taxes, you might not, probably won't get a letter from CRA saying we want to see your taxes. Although they do, they do random audits once in a while. If you don't speed, you're probably not going to get a speeding ticket. If you take out a building permit before you add on a sunroom to your house, you probably will not have to take down the sunroom when city council gets a little upset about that. I know someone who started their new job as a chaplain, and on her first day, she was given a big black binder, and on it was written, policy binder. And she was overwhelmed. 
She thought, how am I ever going to follow all of these policies? And she also was thinking, who are you people to have policies written for absolutely everything? And then after a while, she actually came to appreciate the policy binder. She said there was a certain level of freedom in it where she knew what the expectations were, and if she followed them, she'd probably be okay. Rules can be freeing. And as someone who likes breaking all the rules, I can't believe I'm actually saying this. (laughs) Rules can be freeing. Naomi knew the rules. She was free to release her daughter's in-law back to their own people and their own culture. And Orpah followed the rules. They hugged, they kissed, they said goodbye, and they went their different ways. There is a place for the rules. And then there's Ruth. Ruth went beyond the rules in her love and devotion to Naomi. She said, I know what's expected of me, but I'm going to let my love move me beyond the basic requirements. In almost all of our relationships, I'd suggest that the more committed we are, the more we go above the basic requirements, the better off that relationship probably is going to be. So, our cars, for example. If we take them for regularly scheduled maintenance, and maybe even wash them in winter more than we're supposed to, they will probably last longer for us, won't they? Our lawns, if we fertilize and water them, they will look nicer. If we don't, well, our gardens, if we weed them and water them, they will probably give us more food. And our jobs, if we show up and work hard and take courses to keep learning, we will probably have more satisfaction. I think our relationships with each other can be similar. If we are committed And if we go above and beyond what's required of us, I think we're setting ourselves up for all sorts of positives. Because love moves us above and beyond what is simply required. I just realized that Ashley's going to quote that back to me about how many flowers I buy for her. (laughs) Okay, sorry about that. And then now we are back at Chesed, loyal, loving, a covenant of loving kindness, more than a feeling beyond what is required of us. Another reason why I love the story of Naomi and Ruth is Naomi was an Israelite from Judah and Ruth was a Moabite from Moab. Ruth was a foreigner. We read lots in the news about foreigners these days, don't we? Refugees from Syria dominated our news cycle several years ago. Nowadays, it's asylum seekers making irregular border crossings, both into the USA and Canada, this weekend or this past week. And they were, the, they were meeting in Winnipeg. You can read about that, too. We tend, though, not to hear much about how my French ancestors were kind of unwanted immigrants to Turtle Island 500 years ago by the First Nations. Perhaps they were even considered illegal immigrants back in the day. But that's a different sermon for a different day. (laughs) 
Today, Ruth was a foreigner. What are the requirements of treating foreigners? What's the policy binder on this? Well, as Christians, our first loyalty is to God, not to our country. And so we'll spend some time there. Although, interestingly enough, it is that loyalty to God over country that resulted in Mennonites being banned for a while from immigrating to Canada, as we could not be relied upon to fight for the country. But I digress again. Let's start with the Old Testament. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him or her as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. And then there's Jeremiah sticking it to the kings of the world. This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Although it is worth noting that prophets, when prophets stick it to the kings, at best they're ignored, at medium consequence they're fired off the payroll, and at worst they're killed. Or there's Isaiah, who's blasting his own people. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Now, I'm usually not a fan of cherry-picking Bible verses from the Old Testament to support what I already believe. (laughs) So let's take a jaunt into the New Testament, shall we? But first of all, it is worth noting that the New Testament says very little about foreigners directly because the life and teachings of Jesus and the life and teachings of Paul tore down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, between insiders and outsiders, between us and them. So it's not directly. However, there is this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, which is insider-outsider language, Slave nor free, male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. A skip to Ephesians says that consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. But I really love reading scripture through the lens of Jesus, where we give more weight to the words of Jesus than the other parts. And so we can talk about how the Jewish leaders tried to kill Jesus after he referenced a bunch of times in the Old Testament where God was found among the foreigners, or the time he spent eating with and healing Romans, the hated oppressors, or when he healed foreigners, or how he treated the Samaritan woman at the well. Or when in doubt, we always have good old Matthew 25, And the king will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they'll answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? It did not help you. And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
Jesus kind of says that if we don't look after strangers in need, we risk the fires of hell. Harsh, right? Scary. Good thing we can, we can be like Ruth and err on the side of doing more than the law requires, right? Let alone all those parts in our Bibles about hospitality or when we host strangers, we might be hosting angels. Or if we have two cloaks, we're supposed to give one away. Or that Jesus was a refugee who crossed into other countries. Or that time Jesus told a story about how the hated foreigner is actually our neighbor and maybe even models how we're supposed to love. Or the time where Paul says love does no harm to its neighbor. One of my favorites, though, about Ruth being a foreign Moabite is actually found in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, we're going to be working through Matthew starting in January when it's cold outside. (laughs) But we're going to take a quick jump into there. Right at the beginning of Matthew, before the Christmas story of angels and wise magi, we are given the genealogy of Jesus. It's like the Mennonite game of Jesus. Matthew was written to a primarily Jewish audience. So the genealogy is there to give some street cred to Jesus. Kind of like how those of us living in rural Manitoba try figuring out who our grandparents and great-grandparents are, possibly to see if we're cousins, and thus if we should or should not date. Ashley and I are cousins back to 1750, I found out recently. The Von Reasons in Russia. That's far enough away. (laughs) And in the genealogy of Jesus... We have all sorts of big hitters. We've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've got King David, King Solomon, King Josiah. And then tucked away into there, we read the name Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, a foreign woman, made it into the genealogy of Jewish Jesus the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, as we sing all the time, has a foreigner in his bloodline. The authors of Matthew, author, there's, author of Matthew, could have left her out of the list. They could have just said, Boaz, the father of Obed, and just totally ignored Ruth. She doesn't have to be in there. But she is. They intentionally put Ruth into the genealogy of Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, 2,000 years ago, they knew that including a foreigner in the genealogy of Jesus was revolutionary. Because it was. I don't know if they would have realized 2,000 years ago we'd still be having the same conversations. Maybe this is kind of like how Ruth choosing Chesed to go above and beyond what was required of her, of Ruth choosing to loyally loving someone she didn't have to. Maybe that is also an act of revolutionary love. And so in conclusion, may we continue to practice love. Love for our families, love for those in our community, and love for those who are from different parts of the world. May we continue to love our neighbors as ourselves and always remember that love does no harm to its neighbor. Amen.
This next song talks about setting prisoners free and giving strangers a home. So in response to Kyle's sermon, why don't we sing The Mountain of God? join me in prayer, please. God, we come to you now to tell you what's on our minds and in our hearts. When we actually pause to notice the landscape, enjoy the sunshine, or be refreshed by the rain, we can't help but remember you as our creator God. When we see people are not caring for your creation, we are heartbroken. When we recognize our own part in abuse of this world, we are ashamed. Guide those who are working to protect the environment, to restore forests and preserve the oceans. And remind us that we too can work at honoring and protecting creation every day. We cry out for those who suffer because of war. God, protect them. Watch over the refugee. Heal the injured. 
save the abused. We pray for those who are convinced that war is the only way. Heal their hearts and show them the way to peace. Give compassion to those who fight. Open the eyes of those blinded by violence and make us instruments of your peace. We lift up our towns, cities, neighborhoods, and families. Watch over these places in our lives. Shine your light in dark, the dark places and help reveal the needs of our communities. Encourage us to reach out to our neighbors, not just to live behind closed doors. Heal the brokenness that exists in families due to addictions, abuse, neglect, and stress. And show each of us how we can be your hands and light where we live. We pray for those in our congregation who are hurting because of bereavement or illness. You know who they are. You know their needs. Remind us to be your hands and light in supporting them. Lord, we pray for everything and everyone we know as home. Help us to draw closer to you every day. Give us a new desire to live our lives as your followers. May our actions, our words, and our choices reflect our beliefs. Show us how our decisions can help us promote your upside-down kingdom. Send us into the world as ones called to live your love. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for loving us, despite our flaws and insecurities. Thank you for bringing us together for a common purpose, to be your hands and light in the world. Bind us together with your abundant hospitality and your gracious love. We are grateful for our abundance and now offer our gifts for your service. We commit our time and our resources to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
hear the benediction. As Ruth committed to walk with Naomi, we also commit to walk with God and with each other. As you leave this place and enter your week, may you find the courage to welcome the stranger, the wisdom to know how to respond, and the joy of new relationships nurtured by love, the language of our faith in God. The pathway is open before you this day. It is a path of peace and hope, brought to others by God's mighty love and wondrous blessings. Go in peace, bringing hope to all that you meet. Go, blessed ones, to serve God all your days. Amen. Would you stand with us for our sending song, You Shall Go Out With Joy. You shall go. 